Hello guys and welcome back to the Hit or Miss Big Screen Podcast. My name is Will and I am joined once again by my illustrious co-host. This is the same intro I did the other day, but hey-ho, uh, it is Michael Wilson. Michael, how are you? Howdy there. How's it going? I'm, I'm Matthew McConaughey today. <laughs> and today we're reviewing Interstellar as episode 7 of the series. Uh, this is going to be the last usual kind of format episode of the series as next week... Uh, spoiler a lot there'll be uh, guests and I won't be there and um, in the final episode episode 9 I think it is correct I will be there but also someone else will be there so it'll be a free man review unless it's Sonny a woman who I'm, I don't even know who is no, the guest uh, my friend Gary um, we co-run a horror blog not that we've written on it for years but we Ooh, uh... it's the horror blog guy yeah, yeah nice yeah. which is uh, not, not giving away although people can see on the on social media what the film is but it's a horror related movie that I've got him on for and it's a film that I know he loves so mm. but yeah today we'll be reviewing Interstellar which was one of my choices again similar to Captain Phillips and similar to uh, Patient Zero this is one that Michael has never watched before yeah going into this film what were your expectations what was your initial perspective of the film of course i told you about it and i told you yeah. my thoughts on it beforehand obviously not my in-depth thoughts but what did you think going in we always try to go into films without any real bias or expectations but this did have a little bit of weight behind it because i know that i loved 90 percent of christopher nolan's other movies that i have seen uh, and i know that i'm a massive sci-fi nerd as anybody who knows me will tell you given my love of star trek and various sci-fi movies and stuff so um, it kind of came in with a little bit of a weight of expectations i think uh, off the back of that but um other than that i didn't really i didn't look anything up i didn't want to know any sort of plot information i think didn't watch a trailer um so i was just going in with that knowledge and nothing else oh cool so you had no spoilers so when you were watching it you were really literally watching the first things for the first time right completely yeah absolutely i didn't know well that, tell a lie i mean slight spoiler alert but i remember hearing in a review a while ago i don't know why this part stuck in my mind but i heard a while ago that matt damon was playing a villain in the movie oh, okay. so that was kind so of did, uh, okay. that was kind of like when they got to his part i was like oh i wish i kind of hadn't known that in yeah. advance but and yeah. i was actually looking at reddit when i was researching for my notes sake earlier and uh, they were talking about in this long thread about the people's opinions uh, spoiler thread on reddit there was this one thread that was saying about the trailers and stuff about how they gave stuff away and the spoilers people found out before they watched the film and it one person well several people of course but one person i saw mentioned matt damon and um mm. they said they read a spoiler free review and they said because this is spoiler free i won't go into uh, much detail but it involves matt damon and Matt Damon's character hitting the lead character to try and pierce his helmet. And I was like, that is the most spoilery thing I've ever yeah. heard. And they were saying, oh, wow, that's a really bad move from the reviewer just because it's meant to be spoiler-free. So they read it, but it included one of the biggest spoilers of the film. That was similar to what I remember here because I'd never bother with spoiler reviews and it must have been a supposedly spoiler-free review when Interstellar came out and that's just randomly lodged in my brain. I don't know why that particular fact. But. Yeah. Well, I'm on the contrast, of course. I've watched this film a handful of times, probably even more than a handful. Uh, I watched this in the cinema when I was 12 years old, which is one of my absolute wow. moments. I was like, oh my God, because looking back at it, even though I was only 12 or 13 at the time and I didn't actually understand the film like i left the cinema like 
I'm so confused and I feel like the movie if it came out like five years later like recently I'd appreciate it even more the first time watching it in the cinema I didn't realise uh. how privileged I was because so many people nowadays say one of my biggest mistakes was not watching this at the cinema and I completely understand because the musical score was fantastic and, the, and they used IMAX as well which makes it even better apparently I think it's probably a, 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 it would do a better job of immersing you in that world as well because you can see that it looks gorgeous but I was struggling a little bit to connect with the, the visuals because there wasn't a whole lot behind them but if you're in like a massive um, a massive screen I guess uh, you just feel like you're living in that world so I can appreciate that would probably improve the film yeah and that is kind of echoed in one of the audience interaction section reviews that we'll, we'll get to later yeah again um, I'll be leading this review because Michael has never seen this film and this is kind of my uh, movie that I chose kind of uh, so yeah I'll be leading Michael will be jumping in as yeah, I have go. seen the film twice now, just to clarify. Yes. <laughs> this is not a review where I haven't seen it. That would be kind of pointless. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Like, if you've never seen it, why would you be on a review reviewing the movie that you've never seen? <laughs> just yeah, spoil you, it for me. What part did you like? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's get cracking. First of all, we're introduced to Cooper in his house after having flashbacks of him in his aircraft, which we later learned was a crash. We also have documentary-style cutaways of people talking about what happened on Earth. As for the cutaways, I don't quite understand why they were included, but I'm certain... Um, I can answer that. <laughs> I actually know something you don't. I'm amazed. Okay. Um, it's actual footage from a genuine documentary about the... There was an incident... Uh, like a, a moment in America in the 20s, I think, called the Dust Bowl, where the kind of thing that you see in the movie actually legitimately happened, um, which is why they're all much older people oh. that are discussing it. But it's an actual documentary that I can't remember who, but some famous documentary filmmaker made. And Christopher Nolan asked if he could have permission to just use straight footage from his documentary mm. in his movie. So he did. You see, I didn't know that because, like, without it, I'm certain we'd have interpreted what it was pretty early on anyway. But I think Nolan probably knew that, but I just want that sense of realism into it. So just chucked it in anyway. And I think mm. that's just, a, that's a positive. But um, yeah, I, I can't say I understood it. Um, but yeah I say that because I've watched this movie so many times and I've never kind of understood it but with that perspective I, don't, I understand I, I don't think I don't think the movie needs it I think it's a little bit of an indulgence because it's the subject that Nolan's making the film about and it's one of his mates has made a film I think it is a little bit indulgent I don't think at the beginning or the end you really need that as such but it's harmless it's not like it lasts ages so. exactly yeah uh, Murph's Cooper's daughter asking him to repair a toy lander quickly establishes her dependence on her father's presence and also her interest in interstellar travel, making her later career and understanding more feasible, as well as quickly building up the on-screen bond of the two. Uh, what did you think of the kind of character bonding between the two? It was good. Um, yeah, I mean, the, obviously, the, the thing that st stuck out to me in these opening scenes was that they use her supposed trouble in at school to basically tell you um, i think it's it's i liked that it was really efficient and effective to give you the exposition so that, that fills you in with the personal history of like what coops had to do and what happened to his wife and his family and it gives you everything you need to know about his relationship with his daughter and the fact that yeah. they're basically asking him what he's going to do to discipline her and his response is well i'm taking her to a baseball game to you know so it shows he's a good father and he doesn't take any crap from anybody who yeah. wants to say otherwise so i think that's a really efficient way to show you that they have that bond it's a bit yeah. of a shame just randomly thrown out there that throughout the movie he seems to forget he also has a friggin' son but never mind <laughs> Yeah, but the line about the mother kind of comes out of nowhere. We find out that the mother is not around anymore. 
but I yeah. bring this up specifically because of the music that kicks in when the Indian Air, uh, Air Force drone flies over them, and then the trio mm. being Cooper, Murph, and his son Tom go on the pursuit for it. I love how this particular score was introduced, but this leads into one of my absolute biggest praises for the film, the music of course. It's it's simply exceptional and is spiritually levitating. It's crazy how Zimmer didn't win an Oscar for this body of work for this film because it was simply superb. Uh, For any of those who may want to know why I lost out to, it was the Grand Budapest Hotel which I've heard is a really good film with a really unique score. Um, I'm sure we'll get into the music later and in more detail, but what do you think of uh, Zimmer's score, Michael? To be perfectly honest, I didn't notice it, um, which is unusual because normally his stuff does stand out. And I have noticed in other Christopher Nolan movies, but I don't know if it was just because I was engaged in the actual film, so I was focusing on characters and stuff. Mm. Um, but I literally haven't made any notes about the music because, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just wow. means it washed over me and did its job and didn't stand out as like, oh, this is jarring and it's taken me out of the movie. Um, I'm sure I probably would notice if you told me to listen out for it and watch back, but. Yeah, I don't know why I just watched completely past. So you're telling me you watched the movie Interstellar and did not notice the music? No, I noticed sound design, but I didn't really notice the music as such. But I'm I'm weird with music. (laughs) You've just angered a lot of people that are listening to this. I'm so sorry. I didn't just no. I'm not saying the music was bad. Actually, quite the opposite. Like I said, the fact that it doesn't stand out because there's nothing worse than when you're in the middle of a scene and it feels real and then some kind of bombastic music comes in and you're like oh, okay i know it's a movie mm. um and i didn't get that at all so it's not like i'm saying it's a bad thing i just didn't register it well, i don't think there was anything often there wasn't com- anything that instantly it, iconic the screenplay the screenplay is fantastic but the music always just complements it and i'm just mm. so surprised that there's no standout pieces of music for you like the theme the interstellar theme did that not stand out for you the recurring kind yeah. of music no, uh, no. I, I mean, I could lie and pretend, but honestly, I genuinely didn't oh. notice the the music in this particular film, which I said is weird because I definitely have in the Batman films and in um, Inception and stuff in the past. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, the cornfield chase scene. As a score, I was just on about it entitles it. It was enthralling and it gives me absolute goosebumps, particularly when Tom has to quickly manoeuvre around a harvester. He kind of leaves the corn and he hits whoa, and then he kind of just goes straight back into the uh, field. And I just think yeah. it's a superb little moment. I will just say as well that I think, because I'm watching the movie on a TV, I've heard lots of people complain that you can't really hear the dialogue for the music and stuff. And I had no problem with that, so I've no, got a feeling that whatever... Yeah, whatever my settings are, it might have actually like faded the music a bit more than than it could have, and maybe that's why I didn't really register it. Perhaps, but then I was just watching the movie like on my TV, blasting it out, and I could still definitely hear the the uh, what you call it. Though might depend on yourself, though you may have a better TV than me. (laughs) Perhaps, but it may be because they were in the cinema, and I've heard it was really good but it was really loud so they may have been overwhelmed so they it kind of drowned out the dialogue for them personally but i yeah. don't i've actually never seen that criticism before and even like you see that a lot with tenet for example a lot of people criticize the sound mixing for that i've never heard that for interstellar in fact i think he won a he won an well, award for his mixing when i went to look it up because i was confused by it apparently i found out that it's deliberate and christopher nolan did admit that he did do that and it's supposed to be unsettling and stuff so it is it, it is there it's not like imagined but i didn't notice <laughs> no neither. no and i've seen this film plenty of times but yeah uh you did mention the parents meeting scene and i really like that bit too he he doesn't be around the bush and the focus quickly gets to things that you can relate to the plot of the film 
No excess, he's good in science crab, but it tells us Tom will likely not get into college, so he's destined to become a full-time farmer, and that for Murph, textbooks have been changed to teach students that the Apollo missions were faked in order to bankrupt the Soviet Union. When I was watching other reviews of this, some are quick to point out this is a case of manipulating history in order for the next generation to learn and serve under the new regime of looking after the planet instead of looking into the sky for answers. Of course, similar has been done in real life, but I don't need to get into that. McConaughey's speech about his wife and sitting there being nice was excellent and covers the theme of loss and relationships again as the supposed calm nature of the mother can be linked to Murph's affectionate response to the drone when Cooper was gutting it for resources. Particularly when it was Murph who brought up her mother when Cooper asked her what was wrong just before the cornfield sequence. Again portrays Murph as being reliant on her parents, perhaps more so uh, a result of her mother before she passed away. So it's now absolutely reliant on her father's attentiveness, especially when she's the one with the prospects, unlike her brother who is more a dismissive and brash character specifically to Murph that can be portrayed, that can be seen specifically when they're in the car and then he's saying, find third gear. And that's my note for that. What do you think? Yeah, not really much to add apart from in these opening scenes that um, the, the thing that I did think was a positive that I thought there was some gorgeous direction and sort of cinematography. Yeah. Um, even if the sort of plot and the actual pacing is a little bit slow. No. Um, but yeah, um, <laughs> but um, oh, and yeah. This is the most random note in the world. But I noticed how um, I made a note of how near the knuckle it is that at one point when they're kind of going into the middle of one of the bigger dust storms, they actually have them say "mask up" and they all have to put masks on. And I was like, "Ooh, this is not a good time to be watching scenes <laughs> like that, man." <laughs> yeah, caving and all. But yeah, I yeah. think you mentioned it just then. The direction, especially uh, the use of the angles high up, like as the car's going through the cornfield, you can see like high up shots like it must be on a crane or a helicopter of the cornfields and it's kind of just like twisting and turning and that was feeds into one of my praises later because i like you mentioned it, and i thought oh crap it's the same at the start than it is on miller's planet that point of view shots kind of of the location the scenery and the twisting and turning camera angles i've just linked that to the earlier scene and i i completely agree because i mentioned later that the direction for that is superb and it kind of gives a uh, disorientating feeling uh, for me and again it just gets the adrenaline pumping and is very emotional in that sense so yeah the direction is fab um, but yeah we then go to the baseball game and this is one of the most important moments of the film as to the result of the dust eventually leads to it's very scary and the shot of Cooper looking over to his left and seeing the tall and pursuing dust storm approaching them would stand out for me uh, particularly when they're in the car and you can hear the dust smashing across the car's framework. For me, it's the children's trust in the father and the car that strikes a chord as they sit calmly, hoping for the best in the back seats. I believe the family interaction here and throughout the film even to be very realistic. I think Nolan and his brother Jonathan wrote these characters incredibly, incredibly well. Uh, yeah, um, I see what you're saying. Um, for me, this this was basically where I was essentially... Um, more or less check it out because I just couldn't engage with it because I just found the, the early part of the movie it was really heavy handed and sort of self serious and a little bit joyless um, but I did remember reading in my sort of um, research and stuff that the first hour of the movie was a different script that Jonathan Nolan wrote about the kind of a potential post apocalypse kind of dust storm laden earth uh, and to me I think that kind of shows because that was the parts that I really wasn't all that interested in. Mm. Um, and I think the movie picked up massively as soon as it kind of got into space um, and it becomes Christopher Nolan's movie that he wrote. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, to me, I think there's just there's too blatant of a join there, and the first part was a film I didn't really care for. Mm. Well, this next note kind of debunks that. Obviously, not debunks it's an opinion, but it kind of gives my justification for it. So I'm sure you'd be interested in this. It's quite. Yeah. It's another long one. So uh, have fun hearing this. I really love Cooper's intuitiveness when it comes to Murphy's ghost. When he realizes the patterns in the dust on the floor, he doesn't dismiss it again. He instead believes his daughter is onto something and spends the night working out what it truly is. What it truly is is a location on the map. As Cooper unveils that its coordinates, the musical score is called Dust for this particular moment. And as the drop hits, we transition into the next scene where the pair track down the location of the coordinates with the map on the table. This is another standout score for me with this long, quiet build-up and then boom, we get hit with the fills. Which is very touching, particularly in the context of the scene it's dubbed over. When it's quiet, we see Cooper work out and explain the predicament Murph has led him onto. And then the music really kicks in when the father and the daughter bond is truly being pursued when they're working out the result of the predicament. It leads me on to another big praise for the film, the pacing, in contrary to you. I never feel bored because we learn new things about these characters, we see the bonds developing, and we learn the reasons for these bonds, as well as the lack of fluff, fluff being excess scenes that we don't need. Every scene plays its purpose in one way or another. Before we get into the action, we need to have some justification, some build-up. In the build-up, the characters we eventually have to feel for have to be built up. We have to see what their motivations are and what to expect from them, which links to another point in the film that makes reference to Murphy's Law, which defines anything that can go wrong will go wrong. This can be linked to several later moments, for example, the lack of prospects for the sun, the blind faith in the grandpa's prospects on plan A, and the risk of time elapsing so much so that they lose time on Earth when in space, and also the agent of the professor played by Michael Caine. Uh, so yeah, that's my kind of justification for it. You have to establish all these things before finally getting into the grey movie. Okay, that's fair enough, but I still think there's a lot of uh, stuff that's superfluous that could be cut, I think. What would you cut? Um, Specifically, what would you cut? Well, um, the things, like, just more characters than sort of actual moments and stuff, but, like, I don't see the point in the movie of um, Cooper's son. Like I said, he doesn't really get a lot to do, and Coop more or less forgets about him, except that you need somebody to send messages because Murph is in a huff at that point and not doing it. Um, and John Lithgow's kind of character, other than the fact that the kids need some kind of caretaker because he just disappears from the movie and then it's done kind of halfway through-ish. Are you talking about um, so the father-in-law? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He passes away. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like the film just doesn't—it doesn't need that character. He—he's not built up for any reason outside of his actual plot purpose. If you know what I mean, he's not given like a rich inner life. It's just like the kids need someone to look after them. Now they're old enough. He's dead. That's Fair that. Enough. You know. <laughs> Uh, there's not much to say about the scene set in NASA for me personally other than to relay the bit of dialogue <laughs> an hour ago you didn't even know I was alive you were going anyway we had no choice but something sent you here they chose you Cooper then asks who sent him here which the professor John Brand says nothing allowing us to interpret there are several interpretations here one being the volunteers that travel first the sheer hope of humankind or the powers that be, aka the universe, of course. After what we find out at the end, the correct interpretation would be all of them. The exchange I just repaired is an example of the sheer hope of humankind, cemented by the positive data sent back by the volunteers, and the hope and faith were eventually repaid by the universe when Cooper enters the Tesseract inside a black hole, which we can only hypothesize about. 
See, I, I didn't read it as all that complicated. I just was straight on board with the idea that it was just aliens that wanted to help, and they were the ones that built the wormhole and sent everybody here, and I was kind of fine with it. I was just on board with that. Um, Did you have any notes about NASA uh, specifically? I had one note, which is, you're probably going to, you know, <laughs> kick my butt for it, but I just thought it was weird how they're supposed to be at NASA, and yet Michael Caine makes no effort whatsoever to disguise his Cockney accent. <laughs> like, they, they couldn't have addressed the fact that it's like he's supposed to be an American surely <laughs> you know like his daughter is American they're in the American Space Agency and it's just like dude come on <laughs> I know you like casted Michael Caine but yeah and the, the wife maybe stranger things have happened yeah I, I guess but I don't know maybe, maybe that's just me but yeah. I, I needed I needed a little bit of something there to explain why he had a completely <laughs> different accent to everyone else yeah but yeah this is i can kind of justify why i didn't have many notes for the nasa thing because it was at this point in the film that i started making notes kind of and just started watching it again because i became so engaged again i can't express how much i adore I agree, this film, yeah. genuinely the story the performances the direction the music the sound the the subduedness it simply pulls me in and eventually i did have to pull myself out and then rewind 10 minutes just to uh, make notes for the sake of this review but I literally watched it this morning and then I, in the afternoon, throughout the afternoon, in fact, I've been making notes and I just found myself watching it again. It's like that gripping for me. And I don't know, I will watch this again many times in my life. Will you? Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not upset to have the Blu-ray of it. I'll definitely give it a go. It's just that um, it's not a film that, even though I, I can do this with a lot of films, I don't think I would ever sit down and watch it in a big three-hour thing again because it's just too long mm. um i think cutting it up into two things would probably make it easier and makes the second movie if you do that much yeah. better if you know what i mean yeah um because yeah i think you could have you could easily have cut it down it's it's nine minutes away from being three hours and i don't think it necessarily has to be mm. um it goes really quickly for me it, it didn't for me i was i was really noticing the time but fair enough yeah but yeah you obviously noticed the lack of tom in the next couple of sequences at the house with the exception of when he hugs his father just as he's about to leave this is sort of justified when donald cooper's father-in-law tells coop to make things right with murph solely because tom will be okay again telling us about murph's dependence on her father whereas tom is more independent making him See, superior in his eyes which is why he was portrayed as condescending to his sister earlier in the film and which is why he's portrayed as a reckless fool later when he finally has someone stand up to him on his level or in this case a superior level to him and where he is at okay I just I, I just got annoyed at it because, again, it was kind of plot convenience of like, well, your brother will be fine because we don't want to address it. So fair enough, I guess. <laughs> so, All right. Um, but that, that was kind of my interpretation of it and that was my reasoning behind it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think the film did enough to justify that as, as a character thing. And I just felt bad for Tom because I was like, his sister is clearly the favorite is the impression oh, yes. that I'm getting from oh, this. Yes. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. It's not great to know that if you're in a like... You know, you, you, there's only you two and your dad, and you know that your dad's all over your sister, and you're like, oh, you'll be fine. It's kind of sucky, you know? Yeah, and I think um, I didn't actually make this in my notes, so I'll just mention it now. I'm in the memory scene where he replays the videos um, oh. on the screen. A lot of people mention that with this sequence, uh, the bloke, Tom, actually made the effort to make all those yeah. scenes. But yes, he was crying, and eventually he did kind of suck up his uh, emotion. Uh, at least visibly but then he really broke down when Murph was introduced and of course 
that's justifiable because Smurf is his favourite, of course, so naturally he's going to feel more emotion to actually seeing her for the first time in God knows how many years. But his lack of emotion, he was emotional, as I just said, but the focus on Murph in the context of the film context of the story it absolutely works but some people didn't mention how Tom was kind of let down there because he loved his father so much yeah I wasn't bothered by that because my, my interpretation of that was just that he watches Tom age through the video messages but because Murph is in her little hoof when he sees her it's like a complete shock because she's randomly oh, absolutely, aged yeah. by however many years so you would naturally be like oh wow this hits, just hits me full on but yeah. having said that, I do think the film also does Tom dirty in the fact that he loses a kid and it's barely addressed. <laughs> this, it, you could have made a bigger deal out of that. It's got to be an emotional kind of moment for him, surely. Oh, it is. And I will absolutely address that later. Because I know I it is there's later. Some when... One or two bits that you may have missed that I'll kind of point out. I know, out I, I recognise this skipping ahead, but I know the part where his sister says, you know, buried next to your son because you couldn't look after him or something really cruel like that which is just not really great either but nah because you were talking about Cooper originally and it, there is kind of references to that with him that isn't obvious so I will mention that later okay but anyway in the scene where Cooper talks to Murph in her bedroom she is presented as prattling as the father dismisses what she is saying however this is similar to what we saw earlier in the film when Coop rushes off her ghost explanation eventually of course he did in those scenes get prompted to explain the process of conclusions to her but in this one he just sort of concedes and is breaking down he regains composure to give her a watch which she eventually throws away and then he leaves in the car he looks under the blankets in the hope murph is in there is still in there shall i say which is when we see him break down further as he is melting in his seat you could say if there's some slight niggle in this i would be lying to myself if i said mackenzie foy as young murph didn't annoy me a bit She's alright on the whole, but there are two moments where I think, ah, she wasn't too good here. The two being, the delay in her response to Coop, telling her that he got her suspended, and also the moment where she's in an act of rage when she throws the watch. I wish they reshot this particular moment or made her redo her lines and dump it over, to have a bit more emphasis and layers to her delivery, but neither of these are really big problems, and I've some things I've really just noticed, and thought, I gotta be fair, so I'll mention it. What did you think of young Cooper? I didn't Not know as a real Murphy. I, I'm yeah. I'm usually a lot more forgiving of child actors anyway, as we learned last week. Mm. <laughs> but uh, I didn't notice any real problem. But I did think she's kind of she's in a, a losing position because Jessica Chastain is so good as an actress and so good in this movie that she outacts her younger self. If that makes sense. Yeah. So she's kind of like when she becomes Chastain, you're like, oh wow, this is a real performance and i feel bad for the actress who's like yeah i've got to naturally i've got to have the same character as this you know oscar-winning fantastic actress so that being said I, the I, on the contrast to you actually i think she was actually the main murph in this because she gets far more attention at the start than the older murph does in the middle when you actually have things oh, going yeah, on, yeah. which is why your kind of point about all the pacing i just think the start establishes everything. It kind of gives time for the, these characters to breathe where the the middle part and the end part doesn't really give that um, family emphasis, which is why I love the themes so much. And I think uh, having older Murph or like uh, middle-aged Murph be the center Murph, I think that's quite unfair because young Murph definitely acted her heart out and had a lot of attention to her compared to the other two. But I think it just complements 
Well, the writing complements the character specifically because the young character gets plenty of attention, but then the middle one gives uh, gives her like all the hypothesis and then she has to work out the equation stuff and then the older Murph is written to be really emotional at the end and I think all three Murphs are given enough to do so all the actors are justified and live in the memory at there's least only for me. two isn't it no there's young Murph there's yeah. present Murph so middle aged Murph who does the equations I thought it went straight from Mackenzie Foy to Jessica Chastain <laughs> maybe that's no it, no, it, no but, but then there's another Murph at the very end yeah, I didn't, on I her didn't deathbed. register that at all Oh yeah, Ellen Burstyn. Yeah, but uh, that's me and me as well. Just not have her in the film, to be fair. I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I get what you're saying about the family stuff, but I think partly I was just one step ahead of the film because I kind of I, I was on I was up to date with it. I didn't need to have my hand held. I was like, I'd already figured out that Murph's uh, Murph's ghost was Coop. Like the second time we already had it mentioned, and How I was did like, you well, know that? this is. It's blindingly obvious. How? <laughs> to me, anyway. Maybe I've just watched too many of these type of sort of sci-fi-ish type films and stuff. But, well, that you knew Coop was the guy doing the books pushing. Yeah, completely. Um, because they, they make a sort of point of, of it, and especially when you get to the point where she mentions that the thing had said, don't leave or something. Um, and I was like, well, it's definitely him then, isn't it? <laughs> That's just, that completely gives it away. Um, so I was completely wow. ahead of the film on that point, and I completely understood all of the family relationships not that anybody other than sort of Coop and Murph got a lot to do anyway um, but I was just like yeah just get on with it I just want to get into space to be honest yeah well ironically that is my next snow I love that there's nothing in between Cooper casually melting away in his car on the launch of the rocket ship no fluff yeah. just vibes as the millennial would say I love the inclusion of Tars, the speaking robot. As they fly yes. into space, we have a moment between the crew where we learn Tars as a humor setting, which leads to a great moment that goes along the lines of, you can use it to find your way back into the ship after I blow you out the airlock. What's your humor setting, Tars? That's 100%. Let's bring it back down to 75, please. It's similar dialogue to this throughout these sequences. And uh, another specific is when Cooper tells Dr. Brand that they should learn to talk. But then she tells him and when not to, just being honest, which obviously hurt him a little as he was trying to talk to her as a form of reassurance. And then he quickly turns to Tars, who after a short interaction, since that honesty isn't always the safest form of communication with emotional beings, which was Cooper's way of telling Dr. Brand that he was just as emotional. It was a cool moment, good writing, and the introduction to a great character. Well, re really, introduction really you could say. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll echo what you said in that I absolutely love the robot design um, of Tars, Case, and Kip. Um, I think it's a really cool, unique concept, the way that it's structured as the kind of four, um, I guess, bars that can move in different ways and do a lot of stuff. It's so cool and unexpected. Um, and when I, again, when I looked up sort of things about the film after I'd watched it um, and discovered that it was an actual performer, like puppeteering yes. it in yeah, there, yeah. Um, was even more impressed. And, and it's a guy that I happen to just know, um, Bill Irwin, who's like a professional clown and uh, movement artist and everything. So when I found out it was him doing that, I was like, well, that, is even cooler um, so i like that and i like all of the banter with um with tars and the the various robots uh so yeah I, I completely agree with you on that the only other note i really have about that well there's a couple first of all i hate that they did that cliche thing where they fold over paper and stick a pencil through it to demonstrate wormholes which i've seen in like 20 movies <laughs> it's like it's such a cliche at this point um yeah. and 
the other note would just be that I, I do not like Anne Hathaway. I just, I've never found her to be a good actress, and I've tried so many times. And I always go into every movie thinking this will be the one that justifies why she keeps getting work and she's won awards and stuff. And every single time, I just think she's terrible. And this film is unfortunately every no single time I think she's solid to good. Like in I watched The Intern a couple of weeks ago, and I, I haven't seen it. I rewatched it, in fact, because I've seen it two or three times, and I think she's very good in that. So there's another film for you, for example, which she, she had really good chemistry with Robert De Niro in that one actually but yeah mm, fair enough but yeah I'm just I'm just talking about the one the films that I've actually sort of had reason to sort of come across and watch her in and I've just never really liked it and it's not I, I it's not a personal actually. thing it's just not yeah I don't think she was good in Dark Knight Rises I thought she was terrible recently in The Witches mm. and I just yeah I don't connect with her at all as an actress fair. which kind of hurt the, the emotional core of this movie since it's her that has to deliver it and I was just Oof. like ugh <laughs> okay but yeah i do love the burn in the musical school played when they're docking for the first time it's like a sound that is made when a craft is spinning quickly like a disorientating sound which makes me personally think the docking station and in the way that the craft has to approach the station it's like the music is incorporating sound effects even in the sequence i also like how the actual docking was edited together we get an exterior shot with the subtle music but no sound effects to portray the silence of space as though we're hearing the clamping from space. You wouldn't. And then the edit takes us back inside as the docking mechanism can be heard briefly as it fades out. I think that's a neat piece of editing and I really like the docking sequences and the cinematography is fantastic. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I noted that as well that I did like any time that they went into sort of outer space and they cut the sound off, which a lot of sort of sci-fi films and stuff don't do because uh, autistic license or whatever, but I think it actually added a lot to the atmosphere. Uh, in yes. these particular moments and like like I said to you uh, earlier um, as much as the music was something I didn't notice till later in the film I'd noticed the sound design straight away um, because it's just it, it's very immersive in that way which again probably would have been fantastic if you're watching an IMAX and surround sound or whatever but yeah, yeah. oh absolutely another little moment I adore is the moment where Cooper and Dr. Brand talk about Earth as they prepare for hibernation Cube says, perfect planet, we're not going to find another one like her. It's that respect that the story has for the Earth from space, a complete contrast to the starkness of what it actually is on the planet. To me, this is why the movie made a deal about space, in particular when Cooper and father-in-law spoke and said, we were once pioneers, not caretakers. This movie is heavily suggesting that space is the absolute forefront of discovery and the survival, and I think it has respect for it in outer space, but less so on earth to kind of beat home the vibes yeah i think that's deliberate that's that's basically explained in the script is that people because earth is in such a kind of post-apocalyptic state the people that are in charge if you want to say it that way are basically like everybody stop looking to other things and knuckle down and you're all going to be farmers because we are starving and we need food so shut up and get on with it because there is a line about that isn't it where it's like we learn to um, focus on the ground instead of looking up or whatever yeah. um, which I, I relate to the idea about having that kind of wanderlust naturally as a, as a Trekkie it's, it's <laughs> something I can relate to about wanting to explore the stars and the idea of that um, but I totally understood the point that it was saying which was like that would be the first thing that would be beaten out of you because it's a desperate situation you know um, yeah, yeah 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 I'm glad you noticed that 
Uh, but yeah, McConaughey in the half away, as you said, you didn't like her. But they definitely get the lead roles in this film. So when the other crew members of Endurance get some forefront, I appreciate it. The specific moment I've referenced here is the one in which David Gassi's character talks about there being nothingness for miles. Millions of miles out of the inches are still keeping them safe. Coop then describes them as explorers, saying that yachtsmen can't even swim, yet still do what they do. It reinforces the message of both faith, faith in the mission, faith in the tools they are given, namely the ship and its dirtiness, but above all, the faith in each other's forthcoming shared success. That's I how did, I read I, it. Sorry, I didn't. I did make a note. I didn't make a note specifically of this, but I loved that as well. That's really subtle. But when he says like the um, David Gass's character is struggling with like, but there's only like a bulkhead between us and space, and space wants to kill you, and then. It, it's quite clever for me that Cooper's like, well, it's no different than people that used to go on yacht trips, as you said, and, and couldn't swim because there's only some a little bit between them and the water. And then to literally kind of calm him says, puts on the little thing of like, as if it's the sea, uh, like waves and birds and everything, so yeah. that he can kind of pretend he's on a boat because it's kind of calmer than being in space. Now like, that's actually a really cool touch. I like that. Yeah, and you later see in the cutaway of him walking away that he too has the earphones in his ears. So it's kind of like, a, or it may be in a different sequence because I think that he gave him his, but there, he was also seen with the earphones on. So that was also his way of coping, which was a nice little touch as well, especially when they do make a point of it. Uh, they just allow you to see it. Show, don't tell, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this comes into play when they travel through the wormhole. That faith is put into question and in severe doubt as an audience member. When you can hear the ship really struggling to get through the wormhole with fear about the integrity of the ship, with all the banging outside as well as the alarm beeping inside. This is explored further when distorted space-time manages to enter the cockpit. Not only is that freaky in itself, Dr. Brand touches it, leading to the moment after everything is settled down again, that she reveals it was actually a handshake, supporting her previous statement that it was, quote-unquote, them. Then being the people, or spoilers, person, who led them there. My point is that the film gives the beings a tangible force to interact with. Of course, we know it's Cooper in the Tesseract, and that establishes a form of communication fairly early on, making the climax where he does interact indirectly with his daughter from the past more feasible. Yeah, I don't really have a lot to say about that. The next sort of note that I made was just about um, when he starts getting the messages from Earth, so it's when everybody else is uh, putting themselves into the hypersleep or whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, and, and do you want me to get under that? Cause... Yeah, you, go for it. Go for the note. Yeah, well, I just wanted to say that was my probably favourite acting moment in the movie is the messages, because when Coop gets the messages, it's a clever directing decision to not show you the messages and to actually show you just entirely on his face and it's a, a brave actor that actually has to carry that solely on themselves and i think mcconaughey pulled it off really well yes. um and in on a another directing touch i like the way that it uses the message screen and literally takes you through that to change the scene later on when you're going to the more adult murph um, so you're switching between like the spaceship and Earth, and instead yeah. of like just cutting in some boring way or whatever, it just uses the screen as your kind of conduit that the director takes you through. Which mm. I thought was a really I'm nice glad touch. You noticed that, yeah. And yeah. as for the direction, I made a note. Uh, something I learned from the other reviews is that Nolan, up to the point where he made this film at least, didn't use fade to black transitions as a way to portray elapsed time. But in this film, he did. When Romilly is left on the station and the others pursue Miller's planet. 
He says goodbye, and then we fade to black. Quickly, the scene reappears with the snap of a switch in the future as they are about to enter the atmosphere of Minos Planet. Another time-cutting measure, and it was actually a well-executed transition. Again, direction and cinematography are beautiful, and I really like... <laughs> this is uh, the only other thing I noted about that scene is that I really like the way Tars moves through the water and when he's holding up... Um, Hathaway's character and he's kind of rescuing her. <laughs> really oh, don't that. get me started on that scene. I, I, of course, I love the movie. I love the scene, and I, I can't be too harsh on it. The fact that it's it, you speak of cliches. That is the biggest cliche. There's a disaster coming, and someone gets stuck, and mm. the way that oh, it's yeah. executed is poor, in my opinion. Of course, I mean, it's very enthralling, but damn, when you kind of hear mute, you think. When's that wave actually going to hit? It's moving so fast, and it can do so much in this time. And then I think the character death was so unnecessary. I give. I was just about to say I didn't. Uh, when that happened, I was like, "Ooh, this is cliche. We're just picking off all of the non-main characters." And there's really, legitimately, no reason why they can't go back for him, given the completely different movements of time. Anyway, um, yeah. but the film just ignores that. Really. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, but yeah, the Miller's Planet, the team exit the craft as Zimmer scores begins to play. The score is so exquisite and perhaps my favourite piece of music from this movie, which is why I'm really disappointed uh, you didn't notice the music, because it's incredible. Um, oh. Specifically, the tempo of the clock-like clicking was intentional. Each click represents one day on Earth. With that context, it really oh. makes you want the characters to hurry. Yes, we have the explanation of one hour is seven years, that really isn't contextualized considering Cooper's time-saving measure makes it sound reassuring but with the context of the music that every second has another click and every click is one day on earth you realize that it's not they're losing so much time and they're not mountains their waves has absolute hairs on end when it, that is said the music keeps picking up pace and then we see the now iconic shot of Cooper going to the exterior of the ship and seeing his reaction as the camera pans up as the music really belts out loud to showcase the height of the wave. I think it's such a fantastic little sequence and one I did actually send to you earlier in GIF form. What do you think of the yeah. scene and where did surely you notice the music? The music was so loud. Yes. Um, I noticed the music I didn't pick up on, which I'm now, I'm now glad I do know about how awesome it is about the clicks representing time moving on Earth. Mm. That's a really cool touch and I'll definitely listen out for that next time. But yeah, no, the, the scene, like I said, the actual scene in terms of direction and everything was great, but I didn't like the sort of dispatching of a character as we've discussed and outside of my not particularly liking Hathaway as an actress, I started really disliking the character in that scene because it's just like, why is she so, oh no, we need the data, I'm just going to risk everybody's life and stuff. And I was just like, oh, she, she yeah, already annoys the crap out of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, as for that scene, time then gets brought back into the equation when Cooper and Dr. Brand argue. The explanation that time distortions have been affecting the time scale that the Beacon had been sending positive data back for and that it had not been considered was the oh crap moment and it's really reinforced when Cooper says we were not prepared for this. Uh, the consequence I, um, I'm on about of course is that Cooper returned to the station and watched all of the stacked up messages played out in front of him, watching his children age in front of him as well. McConaughey is absolutely fantastic in this sequence and when the editor dwells on the shot of Murph talking, it makes Cooper's reaction to her even more emotional as she explains that he had said to her that when he returned that they may be the same age. 
and his he will return promise was escaping his grasp. The music simply complements what is already amazing, amazing, amazing screenplay, and the fact that he lost his grandson within seconds of tape is heart wrenching. Oh, horrible. Mm, a comment that uh, under a reupload of this particular scene noticed that he, as he is waving goodbye to his grandson in the scene before we established that he's passed away, he turns his posture so that he could see his grandchild move as he leaves the frame so of course he's leaving his frame but he still moves himself as he's waving to try and get a glimpse of him again as though they're mm. actually interacting and I think as someone said in another comment Matthew McConaughey almost deserved an Oscar for this scene alone I can only yeah. second that no matter how many times I watch this film I guarantee I will always sob to this uh, moment is in my opinion the best scene from any film that I've ever watched it is absolutely amazing the scene is awesome and i would say that's that's mcconaughey's absolute oscar sort of clip moment mm. um from from beginning to end but i didn't notice I, I thought you meant like specifically little waving and posture and stuff i wasn't no, no, no. paying that close of a level of attention you know no i didn't even notice that when i was watching it but yeah that's what justifies the next scene where dr brown wants to follow her heart when choosing the planet to which they go to knowing they won't be able to reach the other we've established that this film has underlying themes most notably the one of love and loss here we have the protagonist hathaway's character trusting her judgment in following these two themes to lead the team into the planet that not only has positive data but also homes her lover However, Cooper wants it to be more scientific, counteracting these themes. He is not given all hope on seeing his children again, at least that's how I interpret it. However, he is acting how he was at the start, logical, and less so thinking about his family and emotions. He's been pulled right back down to earth, as the expression goes anyway, and wants the team to stay composed and approach the dilemma with no rash decisions. It's not corny, as I know you think it is, Michael, you know, the power of love, but how I saw it, there is no power, it's theory. The movie says this. Instead of acting on the supposed power of love, they debate it. They debate the logic of it, or lack of it, and based on those decisions of theory, hypothesis, conjecture, fundamentally, they subconsciously debate why they got to that point, giving this film far more depth and for a lot more things for the audience to chew on, which I'm sure you realise is what I'm doing throughout this chewing. This is why I'm just sad that as a fellow film geek, you didn't latch onto this, uh, which so many other people did, and I... I understood it, it just didn't... Yeah, I understood it, it just didn't hit me because I was kind of like, well, okay. <laughs> yeah, for me, it just came off as kind of cl uh, cliche and cheesy, and I didn't really connect to it for whatever reason I was I, I understood it and I understood the point but like I said to me I'm never really you've got to be very good to pull off like well scientifically love can be anything and we can that can be our explanation because it's almost sort of so great and magical and it's the one thing we will never understand and yeah I just I, I didn't need that in a film that was all about the science until that point uh, well, I mean, I disagree naturally, but again, I just gave my explanation. You can so disagree. That's I know you absolutely. I get what the film was trying to do, and I get that it's playing a, a, that bigger theme, and then it becomes hugely important at the end. But to me, like I said, it just it wasn't executed particularly well in a way that I connected to. All right, but this is the point where I kind of made less notes as I was just like watching the film. I thought this is great for me Professor Brand dies on his dying bed he breaks down apologising his equation was never going to be completed and Murph interprets this new information as a further betrayal this was a pretty impactful scene and perhaps Michael Caine's involvement in the film from all his roles in Nolan's films I think this is one of his best he's a good side character and when Dr. Brand and Cooper eventually find this out 
when on the planet, which I'm about to get to, by the way. The interactions are phenomenal as the pair break down a fair bit before we get some scientific explanations. It was also in this scene where they say that the information that would be needed for the equation can be known. It's Cooper's inquisitiveness that leads us to this explanation, which he then asks Rumi to confirm. I believe this is the moment where Cooper gets the idea of going into the black hole himself, and I think it's like portrayed early into the film that his decision in the final act was justified and was going to happen yeah I, I the only thing i really noticed about that is that it was a genuine as much as i was saying i was kind of ahead of the film for a lot of it the michael kane never intended kind of stuff um total shock to me and i really liked the kind of narrative twist and drive that gives the story all of a sudden yeah um so yeah Okay, uh, the special effects on Man's Planet are excellent. When Cooper climbs to the top of the mountain and looks across the surroundings, I was in amazement. Even though I've seen it many times before, it's still breathtaking. As is Gargantua, the black hole, may I add, even Miller's Planet. Simply put, the cinematography slash special effects in this movie are top-notch, particularly the cinematography. Do you agree? Oh, completely. I've always said that. Yeah, yeah, the cinematography in the direction is... is flo- and it looks... I mean, stunning. Like I said, it would have probably looked even better on a massive screen, but there's no denying it looks beautiful, so... Mm. And you did mention earlier Matt Damon wasn't involved in the promotional effort of the film, making his appearance even more surprising. Yeah, this is the point where I thought um, I made a note that it, the film really got good um, for mm. me, so this, this actually kind of hooked me in when I was drifting a little bit um, uh, on some of the earlier moments. Yeah. So I was like, it got really good, and I was um, impressed that... I thought Matt Damon and Jessica Chastain in these scenes really put in fantastic performances that actually engaged me um, more than some of the other cast. Yeah, I think that's a testament to the merit of the film because it's amazing to see such a great actor of such fame take a secondary role in a blockbuster like this. Uh, Damon was definitely outshone by McConaughey, in my opinion, but that's more of a praise to the latter than a criticism to the former. Damon was good for what he was given, but I can't stress enough how I think McConaughey in this film is superb and absolutely the standout. So that's why I interpret it as him outshining Damon, even though you get the impression that Damon was excellent. Out of interest, what do you think of McConaughey? Like, we've talked about a lot I, of I've already said, I, but... I thought he was fantastic. I already said I could understand why this would be his, like, awards contention thing. My um, my point about Damon and Matt Damon and Jessica Chastain was because when they came into the film, I think it gave something for him to play off and some decent acting and stuff because we've already established I'm not a huge fan of Anne Hathaway. And mm. um, I did, I loved a couple of moments with... Um, David Gaiassi's character, whose name I cannot remember. <laughs> um, I uh, love the Romilly. kind of subtle Romilly. That's right. Romilly, I love the subtle yeah. moments about like he hadn't gone into sleep and didn't think they were coming back. But there was only kind of a couple of moments, and then he was kind of dispatched yeah. almost a little bit like quickly he, as well. He, he was just left alone for seven years, and the, uh, the other two came back. Then he was dead within three days, I think it is. And I thought, yeah. ouch. Uh, when Dr. Man attacks Cooper, I like how it's editorially paralleled with Murph and her partner driving away from their nephew, who they knew is destined to die without help. Dr. Man talking about thinking about children only added to this rush of her emotions, and when Cooper gets back to his communicator, showing resilience and redemption, the car is also turned around by Murph to go and help the child. The next sequence is also editorially paralleled with Murph swiftly taking care of the boy, to also the scene where Dr. Man is set off and if he docks, they die as the docking station would have been damaged if not destroyed. Uh, The sequence 
The sequences of Rush Against Time versus the antagonist, Dr. Man and the abusive, reckless brother. And I think the way it was edited together in parallel was superb as it covers different themes. Well, no, the same themes in different scenarios. And I think it's yeah. expert editing. And it's a massive priest. This is my favorite scene in the movie. Um, I get the stuff on Earth, even though I don't love the fact that Mirth does something as stupid as destroying crops when Earth is starving, but I get the point. Um, yeah. But the stuff that I loved is the intercutting of it, and in particular, the nervous tension of man almost getting to the airlock. And then the scene shocks me. It shocked me like crap the first time, and even the second time, when it's like he's in mid-sentence almost, and then it just shocks you yes. out of nowhere, and he gets blown out. And I was like, that's that's brilliant filmmaking and excellent um, work that I loved. And I thought that now I was really getting a sense that there was stakes and uh, a compelling narrative to the story. Um that I was fully on board with and understanding now. And mm. when I'm not sure if it's just after this scene or it's close to it anyway, when things kind of get out of control and um, Cooper's like spinning wildly, uh, trying to get control back of his craft. Um, and I just said, I always kind of, I'm a sucker for that. Cause I feel like I'm going to vomit and that's yeah. great. Cause it makes me feel like I'm in space. <laughs> it's not great. Cause I'm like, I'm going to be sick, but also yay for the realism. If it explodes and the docking is compromised, they may not survive, but inevitably it does explode, but Cooper still doesn't give in. The music is fantastic, intense, and this intensity is cemented yes. when Cooper responds to the line, it's not possible by saying no, it's necessary. This is now an iconic little exchange and the yeah. cinematography is fantastic and I often see people cite the docking scene yes. as well as the memory scene as the best scene in this movie and it's very yeah. hard to fault for me that, well, that's really weird because I didn't know that and I said the same thing and I, that wasn't just because I'd read that it was other people's that's just uh, that's what hit me as well mm. and I did actually lie earlier because I did specifically make a note that the music was fantastic here but then also noted it's been great the whole way through but that's obvious because it's Hans Zimmer so clearly I just didn't remember <laughs> that I'd actually written that <sighs> You intentionally pissed me off there. No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, you did. Well, I couldn't remember when you were telling me, but then I've made a note. So clearly my past self was paying attention. But particularly, it noted, I made a note of it in this scene, which means I must have particularly responded to like the scenes of um, the tension and stuff that were building when he was trying to, to dock and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that's cool. Using the slingshot maneuver, 51 years are added and Cooper and Taz jettison themselves to lose weight. This sends them into the Tesseract. This sequence has received mixed reception. Some say they love it, some say they hate it, and others say they hate to love it. For me, it's fine, and what grabs me more than anything is the editing. There is a YouTuber out there called This Guy Edits who last year broke down the editing of this sequence and it gave me a newfound appreciation for the sequence. When exploring the Tesseract, we see six iterations of Murph's room five of which have been seen in different perspective across the movie, specifically towards the start. But the sixth, and the one that we haven't seen, is when Cooper pushes the books to try and get his daughter's reaction, and that subsequently smashes the lander, leading to the events of the film to follow, starting with Murph going to the kitchen to ask her father to fix the lander toy. There are three layers to this edit, Cooper's perspective, Murph's perspective as a kid, and Murph's perspective as an adult, thinking back to her perspective as a kid. This narrative is also interlinked with a ticking time bomb. My god, that was a tongue twister. The bomb being the brother returning to the houses, adding drama. The narrative, however, is beautifully tragic as it was ultimately the father who was trying to get his daughter to convince himself in the past to stay with her and not pursue the mission. Cooper shouting, make him stay Murph, don't let me leave Murph, is heartbreaking and really emotional. 
Anyway, the creator goes on to point out that throughout the first chunk of the Tesseract scene, there's plenty of interconnecting layers slash cutaways, but in the midpoint, once Aldermouth realises that it was her father that was the ghost, the editor is stuck with Cooper's perspective. We've had the emotional sequence, now we return to the plot to reveal Tars is still living and the quantum data has been sent, uh, that he has been sent there to retrieve. Once we learn the wavelengths aren't reaching the outside of the black hole, naturally, Cooper realises that he can utilise the three-dimensional ward the fifth-dimensional beings constructed for him. This is when we return to the layered editing and the communication is established. And to establish that they hadn't forgotten about the ticking time bomb, that the brother was still a threat, they need to relay and translate this data before the brother returns, once again establishing the stakes. A striking part of his analysis is when he says Murph, who struggled with her father's decision to abandon her, now finally understands that he always loved her and sacrificed their time together to save her and everyone else. And that's my note. Okay. Well, I'll just quickly finish my thoughts, which was that first of all, um, for a film that prides itself on scientific accuracy, you can't just fly into a black hole. The gravity would crush you. <laughs> but you know it's a movie it's not real I'm gonna forgive it um, and just the yeah the, when my overriding thought during the kind of trip through the black hole was just oh somebody's watched 2001 that's good <laughs> um, wow. and yeah I, I just kind of tuned out because it got really confusing and weird and you know I don't like that kind of thing um, in the very end but I got it and I got the I responded to the emotion if not the actual literal of the plot um, so I appreciated that part and thought it, it at least it at least made the ending really sweet um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if it if although it did probably go on for me for like 10-15 minutes too long <laughs> but never mind but yeah um, the ending is definitely far-fetched uh, that he escaped and was sent to the human colony yeah. Uh, colony but the reunion with Murph and Cooper more than makes up for it in my opinion it's a wonderfully written performed and scored scene when the family resides to the side of Murph and Cooper see each other for the first time it leaves me in tears every time even quickly skipping five seconds rapidly to get through the scene as I skim through YouTube to make notes I jerked up in tears it was that impactful and in my opinion it's a fantastic way to end a superb film okay awesome but yeah um that's didn't quite me in the same way, but I appreciate it, and I can un definitely understand. Did you not? Did uh, you not get a bit emotional when? Yeah, no, I said that. Movie. I thought it was a sweet ending, but to be perfectly honest, it just seemed weird that a big star like Ellen Burstyn was in it for like two minutes, and it again, was almost I kind of justified pointless. the whole all the incarnations you could say of Murph. Yeah, like the young one had duration, the second one had the intuitiveness, and the third one had the emotional stakes. So they all played the purpose and like this ending scene is one of the biggest scenes most popular scenes of the whole movie so you could say she's only in it for a few minutes but she's perhaps given the most popular scene yeah i can see why it would hit it didn't quite hit me in the same way but i can definitely see how it would to other people okay and that is the end of the review so michael would you like to take us well introduce us because i also have an audience interaction section notes today let me just close my conclusion and open the audience interaction section so as per usual i put out uh, messages on social media um, just asking what people's thoughts were on the movie interstellar uh, what they would rate it and how they would compare it to christopher nolan's other films uh, on my facebook page um <laughs> the feedback that we got uh, George White simply said bottom of the pile, presumably meaning of the Nolan movies. Yeah. Um, 
Jay Hildreth said, not at the very bottom, but not the highest up. I enjoyed it in the IMAX, but I probably wouldn't enjoy it as much at home, and I'm in no hurry to revisit it. Uh, and Gary Shaw, who is going to be on the show in a couple of weeks, contributed this fantastically important thing. Unfortunately, I've still not seen it. Thanks for clarifying that for us, Gary. I know, mate. <laughs> uh, on Twitter, um, Admiral Catsby uh, said Interstellar is visually stunning but hampered by a deeply silly emotional drama that undermines the cool science I think Nolan isn't as smart as he thinks he is which mm. shows in scripts such as this one overall a B- minus for me I'd put The Dark Knight and Batman Begins higher oh, that's um, not, no surprise yeah uh, James All Richard Walls uh, says the greatest of Nolan's work in my opinion stunning visuals beautiful soundtrack great casting I do however agree that it was slightly let down by the relationship melodrama namely the rubbish that was sadly put onto Hathaway that being said it's too sumptuous not to love uh, at Mangler 112 said I actually really liked it for me one of Nolan's best yes it has some head scratching moments but in the end it's about the great characters journeys mm. um Absolutely. Peter Doherty this, this is quite a lot of these I didn't realise Peter Doherty said I thought it was boring to be honest and I absolutely love sci-fi fair enough uh, Robot of Death said I thought it was a decent rip off of 2001 uh, OG Trekker Rob said the sound mixing was deafening which contributed to my lack of enjoyment it also felt like a rip off of 2001 good visual effects I give it a C plus uh, and Andy82PRCT chimes in to that. Yeah, the sound ruined it for me too. Either turn it up to hear the dialogue and get blasted by the music or set it for the music and struggle to hear the dialogue. As I mentioned earlier, I don't really understand that. It seemed fine for me, but whatever. <laughs> um, Stefan Lienemann said, hmm, to be honest, I don't remember much of this movie and that's not a good sign. There was nothing wrong with the story, cast or directing, but it lacks of memorable scenes. Oh, we know you disagree with that one. Oh, what? <laughs> well, obviously, it's just for this one person because I've never heard that take before. Holy crap. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Peter Doherty said, well, no, sorry, my bad. I've actually read all of those already. Um, so let me go to my, from my letterboxed, my friend Alex Marzonia wrote a very brief one line review. He gave it three stars and said, in IMAX, it looked incredible, but I couldn't connect. Okay. And let's see. Uh, Rats and King has given the film 9.3 out of 10 or four and a half stars and said while I've con I'm convinced that most movies work best when you have good characters you want to follow there's no denying from me that Christopher Nolan is one of the best directors working today when it comes to making a movie with its story as the main focus Interstellar is a movie with an incredible deep story that's almost impossible to tackle correctly but he does it yeah. he delivers on the scientific importance of the movie delivers on the visual and dialogue driven storytelling that are required for a story like this and he even delivers on the feels if it weren't for a few too many twists and turns towards the end and some boring exposition scenes that go on for what feels like forever this sure, would be yeah. a close to perfect movie but as it is it's still a very meaningful movie that one should watch uh, and okay. finally i have uh, paul denuzio who i've discussed in the past a uh, pld um just said i understand some of the misgivings some people can't conceptualize of the way known is pushing for here and it is understandably difficult to visualize it in that fashion i would argue that it is not any different than any of the other theoretical concepts we are introduced to or confronted with in the film and frankly the attempt to lump them both together is a creative endeavor uh, the performances are strong, especially Matthew McConaughey and Jessica Chastain, with nicely balanced support roles from Anne Hathaway, Matt Damon, and Michael Caine. 
Christopher Nolan is a gift to cinema and he is always challenging and thought-provoking while providing great entertainment and vision. Special note must be made of Hans Zimmer's haunting score that is as much a character as anyone else, a truly ominous presence that helps drive the film forward. This was an ambitious film. They sometimes will miss the mark, and I know this missed the mark to some people, but to me it will always be a very special movie and among my favourites. Uh, so mm. I think you probably would uh, you probably would have uh, enjoyed that had you read it I thought that's, that's why I, I saved that particular PLD I, I one I don't know this uh, again I told you that I've got quite a few um, letterbox reviews in schools and they're all positive yeah, yeah. Uh, thankfully yeah. so um, this is what I got on letterboxd 8 Bean Soup said my emotions fluctuate the first time I watched Interstellar I went from this is pretty dang good to this is just okay to I'm kind of bored to maybe this is pretty dang good to I don't know watching this for the second time I went through about the same thing Interstellar tells the story of Cooper an engineer I can be asked there are many aspects of Interstellar that I really enjoy it's a scientific movie that takes science fiction seriously I don't think there was a moment where it talks down to the audience I was already familiar with most of the ideas in the movie, but I can imagine a non-science reader viewer being blown away by the many of the ideas here. That's kind of an insult to me, but okay. Uh, one of the things that makes this movie difficult to enjoy is it's ugly to look at. As I was mentioning earlier when you mentioned the colors of the planets, they say in the beginning when the characters are on Earth, the movie is ugly because Earth is dusty and dirty. When the characters take off for outer space, their space is uh, their ship is non-descriptive and boring. Their various planets they go to are grey and white. All these things are realistic, but they're also bland and boring to look at. I don't fall for Christopher Nolan's production design, but I just found it boring to look at, and they gave it a 3.5 out of 5. Okay. Uh, Sci-Fi TV, aka Universe of Who, who I still have on Letterboxd for some reason, uh, said, Interstellar was a great movie and it was done so well. However, I really take issue with the idea of leaving his children to go on this journey. Knowing he may or may not see his daughter again, it was hard emotionally and they gave her a 3.5. Joe Deacon, who joined me in a Spin the Wheel podcast episode, said, The first act or so is a little shaky, but once they do go into space, there is hardly anything to complain about. Nolan's attempt at Kubrick is ambitious, but very, uh, it's ambitious but very exciting. Honestly, I feel like the scenes on Earth take me out of the experience, as I don't find it anywhere near as white knuckled. I love the way Nolan uses IMAX. The constant aspect to ratio changes are admittedly distracting, but when those IMAX cameras are on, the frames are gorgeous. Whilst not my favorite film from Nolan, I have to say it's strongly emotional. I have to say is his strongest emotionally. I remember the ending falling flat but I kind of loved it this time. His sound and visuals are immaculate and Zimmer kills it. Maybe even his best school. I would agree with that Joe. And he gave it a 4 out of 5. Matt Hall, formerly known as Matt Whelan, who we have to get onto the cast someday, uh, gave this incredibly long review. And I'm sorry this is going to take a while. It occurred to me. I'm very prolific and vocal about my relationship with Interstellar. Anyone who's been following my letterbox for long enough will be familiar with my utter love for it, and I've regarded it now as my favourite film of all time, and that remains as true now as it ever did. I absolutely adore this movie, and I will always do. For me, it's Nolan at its very best, and I don't think it can be topped, but I'm open to the possibility if anyone can top it, it's probably him. Yet, since joining the Lairbox community, I haven't actually done a rewatch, and since Insomnia chose to kick my ass again, I figured what the hell and watched it again for the sake of wanting to finally write about my feelings and thoughts, so buckle up, this could take a bit. 
Oh, it sure will, because this is so bloody long. I honestly could go on and on and on about everything in this film. That I you already love. have. <laughs> yeah, I'd surely be here all day. I definitely recommend... I started reading this at 9 o'clock. It's now 10 past 9. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I'd surely be here all day. I definitely recommend anyone that hasn't watched this yet or is on the fence to... Uh, to absolutely watch this film if you ever get a spare 2 hours 49 minutes Nolan's longest it's a lot of process but it's bloody worth it watch it on the biggest screen possible too always always 5 out of 5 stars for this masterpiece Christ on a bike right as for that the other was, uh, so that, we, we could have just read that out instead of doing the freaking review because that was about an hour but yeah, yeah. <laughs> as for the other scores my mutuals gave Interstellar out of 5 on Airboxed uh, Evil J bought Evil Beeborg, should I say, gave it four stars. Harry Memory gave it four stars. George Papartz gave it four stars. Dan Felix gave it four and a half stars. We don't need to hear everybody's star score, dude. <laughs> Pricey Film Fan gave it four and a half stars. Dan Z1 gave it five stars. And Off the Cuff Reviews gave it five stars. On Airbox, the most given score is five stars, and that weighs to a 4.1 out of five average. On IMDb, again, the most given score is five stars and weighs to an 8.6 out of 10 average. You literally haven't done this for any other film. I know, but I just want to <laughs> emphasize that it is, in fact, good, and that leads into the conclusions. <sighs> okay, do you want to go first, or do you want me to? You you first. We always finish with the person who's doing last. Okay. Um, I put an overly long film that left me unsure what to feel and ultimately a little underwhelmed but it didn't make me angry or annoyed like a bad film does. Just a bit sad not to have really got it or emotionally connected. I know others will appreciate this on powerful levels, and I get that, and I'm happy for the people that connected. Uh, stunning looking with big swings, but it just rang a bit hollow for me with big ideas that I've seen executed far better in other movies, uh, and I gave it 3.5 stars. Okay, doke, I will check that on the average calculator. Okay, my conclusion is Interstellar is my favourite movie. It's one that gives you plenty to interpret but lays down the rules so that it doesn't become a fantasy but rather a feasible conclusion. These rules were greatly researched during pre-production and are scientifically accurate and praised by scientists alike. McConaughey is by far the standout in this film, not only for his excellent performance, but also for the thematically rich story his character was given. It's coordinated, stunning, well-paced, insightful science fiction with music that sends me to another dimension. This film always leaves me in tears and inspired with awe. There's very little for me to criticise, I love this film so much, but I didn't allow that to cloud my judgement and even after hearing a second opinion from Michael, I simply don't see anything that would decrease my 5 star rating, so that is the rating I would give. Uh, that leads to a 4.25 out of 5 average. That's I'm not sure good. where that works out on the leaderboard. Uh, I'm not sure either. <laughs> we'd have to uh, we'd have to have a look at the others. I know it's definitely under Jurassic Park, obviously. So that wraps up today's episode, Michael. You are taking the next episode. So would you like to explain where this podcast is going next? Yeah, well, this was something that came about just from communication between me um, and, well, initially Will um, and a fellow podcast uh, called the MCU Corner to Corner podcast. Um, they were initially going to be guests on a Doctor Who podcast that we ran, but we eventually just realized that talking about Doctor Who on the internet is basically inviting yourself and asking for trouble, so we gave up on that. Um, but I didn't want to leave the guys in the lurch, and knowing that they love Marvel, I asked if they would come on the film podcast. Uh, but obviously, we don't want to step on any toes. They are doing MCU. Um, so I asked would they mind doing a, a, a non-MCU Marvel film, and we mutually all decided to uh, examine the movie Spider-Man 2. So that is the review we're going to be doing next week. 
yeah i'm looking forward to hearing that and i'm sure all the audiences too uh thank you very much for watching that was michael's first interpretation of the film interstellar again he did say he'd be revisiting it 3.5 not bad at all no, not at all. No, I, I, exactly, I stressed yeah. it's not a bad film. It just didn't connect on the level with me. But if it does with you, fair play. Awesome. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, but yeah, that wraps up today's episode. Thank you all for listening. Tell us in the comments your reaction to the movie, what you thought of our thoughts, and what you would give it out of 5 or 10, whatever your preferences. Uh, for now, see you guys in a bit. See you next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>